Good to see everybody here today. I'm just imagining this facility fully designed, fully built out, filled with people, packed to the gills, a cloud of worshipers worshiping the King of Kings, hungry souls coming in from this neighborhood receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm just imagining, imagining it. I'm imagining overflow. I'm imagining multiple services. I'm imagining souls at the altar. I'm imagining baptisms in this place. I'm just imagining the Holy Spirit falling at this altar right here and the sick being healed and the bound being set free and captives being freed. I'm imagining blind eyes opening, deaf ears being unstopped right here in this place and I'm so excited. Amen. Amen. And so this is our Kingdom First Refresh. Our series is called Coming Home. Kingdom First Coming Home. Now this is actually the third Kingdom First series that I've preached. The first one was in the fall of 2019 when my family and I just came back from our sabbatical. The first thing I did was preach a seven-part series on the Kingdom of God and it was called Kingdom First and the whole concept of that series was that there's all of these things that we tend to put before the kingdom. Family first. No, not family first, kingdom first. Money first. No, not money first, kingdom first. Church first. Not even church first, kingdom first. Community first. No, all of that is idolatry. The kingdom first life is about putting the kingdom of God above all things. It's about prioritizing the kingdom of God above all things. And that is the kingdom first life. And, and we, we asserted in as forceful of terminology as we could, that the kingdom first life is the best life. And then we did another kingdom first series last year in February and March in which we talked about how God was inviting us into this adventure of preparing a place for him here in the city of El Cerrito. And that that would require us to live the kingdom first life. It's like our first kingdom first project that God gave us. And so now we're coming back to this again a year later to revisit this whole thing and to bring it home. And uh, we we, uh, sent you all commitment cards, Uh, not that we're asking you to start all over and pretend you didn't make a commitment last year, but there's some folks who are joining us this year for the first time who weren't with us last year when we went through this. I actually have some people say, what are we talking about? What are you talking about campaign? I I just been here for a few months and all of a sudden you're talking about last year and, and El Cerrito and I don't even know what's going on. And so uh, there's some folks who are new who don't know what's going on. Uh, there's some folks who fell off off the truck last, last year because of the pandemic and everything that happened there with the economy. And this is an opportunity to, to forget those things which are behind and to reach for those things which are ahead. And so we're going to start talking more about that yeah. next week. But today I want to bring you a word from the Lord uh, that, that I believe will hit you right in the heart and identify one of the primary hindrances that actually keep us out of the kingdom first life. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is really the core scripture. This is the core. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And in context, in verse 31, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Those are the kinds of things that the Gentiles are seeking. And your father knows that you have need of these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added to you as well. I want to come at this from a different perspective today because if we take that verse, verse 33, I think we've talked a lot about the seek ye first. But we haven't talked a lot about the and all these things. You see, there's really two parts to the verse. The first part is the command. You seek first the kingdom of God. But the second part is the promise. And all these things shall be added to you as well. The problem with most of us Christians is that we believe in the seek ye first, but we don't believe in the and all these things. And what we don't realize is that our failure to believe in the and all these things is what hinders us from actually doing the seek ye first. Because without the and all these things, without the promise, the command is experienced as abusive. You try to do the command without believing the promise, that's the essence of empty religion. Now you're a good Pharisee. You're a good legalist. You're religious. Because you've got the command and you know God wants you to give and you know God wants you to sacrifice and you know God wants you to relinquish, but you don't actually believe in his benevolence that he actually desires to give to you more than you desire to receive. That he actually desires to bless you with more than you even have room enough to receive. That actually he desires the blessing for you more than he desires the offering from you. And that when he says, seek first the kingdom, he's simply trying to qualify you for the end all these things. And what we don't realize is that believing in the benevolence of God, in his desire to bless us and increase us and multiply us, is actually essential to our faith. We take faith for things and separate it from faith in Jesus. When it's one and the same thing. One is the consequence of the other. Just go to Hebrews chapter 11. That great faith chapter in the Bible. That if you want to understand faith. Just read Hebrews chapter 11 multiple times. And you get to verse 6 and he says. Now faith is the substance. I'm sorry verse 1 he says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen but you get to verse 6 and he says for without faith it is impossible to please God. So first he makes this assertion that if you want to please God you've got to come to him in faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God but now he's going to define the kind of faith that pleases God. For he who comes to God must believe two things. One, that he is. Behind that is God saying to Moses, I am that I am. Not just that he exists, but that he is. That's another sermon. you got to believe in who he is. But secondly, you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, most of us can believe in who he is But we have trouble believing that he's a rewarder. When was the last time you had confidence in your heart before God? God's going to reward me. You know why? Because he's a rewarder. 
Not because I deserve it, but because he is a rewarder. It's simply who he is. He rewards those who diligently seek him. When was the last time you walked through a hardship with knowledge in your heart? There's a reward on the other side of this. When was the last time you took a step of obedience anticipating the reward on the other side of it? How about Moses, right? The scripture said, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer oppression with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yeah, yeah. And it went on to say, he endured because he looked to the reward. Yeah. He was looking to a reward. Wow. He believed, you know what, I'm going to give up all this. You know why? Because there's a greater reward on the other side. of the I, See, when you believe in God the rewarder, you're never afraid of losing anything. Yeah. When you believe in God the rewarder, sacrifice is opportunity to you. Yeah. If sacrifice feels like loss to you, you have no faith in God the rewarder. You believe that he is, but not that he is a rewarder. You believe in the seek ye first, but you don't believe in the end all these things. And so God wants me to tithe, but him blessing me on the other side of my tithe is optional. He may or may not. I don't, you know, I don't want to become a word of faith teacher. You don't want to make God into a Coke machine where you put your money in, push the button, and the Coke comes out. We're so afraid of somehow tricking God. As if somehow we're going to swindle God. God is far too smart to be swindled. You can't trick God. Like, we're going to manipulate God. I don't want to manipulate you. And we move ourselves out of the blessing simply because our hearts are closed to it. Because we have no faith for it. And even my sacrifice doesn't please God anymore because I believe that he is, but I don't believe that he's a rewarder. Listen, do you realize that believing in the reward is part of what pleases God? That when you come to him, if he sees in your heart faith that there is a reward for my sacrifice, that nothing I give is in vain, that he's not simply a God who takes and leaves me with nothing, I mean, how impoverished is your God if you think he wants to take from you and give you nothing back? You believe in a, a, a poverty-stricken God who needs a handout from you instead of a, a father, a, fa a good, good father. I mean, I, since I've become a father, I understand this so much better. Because there's never a time where I simply want to take from my daughter simply because I don't want her to have. There's no good father, no good mother, no good parent that simply wants to take from their child because they don't want them to have. What I learned as a father is that anytime I do take something from my daughter, it's because I want to qualify her for something greater. I want to qualify her for a greater reward. And what I desire is that she would trust me, that she would trust the benevolence of my heart. Seek ye first. You can't do the seek ye first unless you also do the and all these things. And once you believe for the and all these things, doing the seek ye first, no problem. Not a problem. 
Not a problem. Now, I was thinking about how this actually works out in the story of the rich young ruler that we find in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and following. In the story of the rich young ruler, this guy comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question, by the way. What must I do? He's trying to qualify himself with his actions. What he's actually doing is he's going to God for affirmation. He's not going to God with humility. He's not going to God to submit himself. He's going to God because he wants God to look at him and say, You're great. You're cool. You're really doing it, man. You disqualify yourself from partaking of the benevolence of God when you're simply expecting God to reward you for your own righteousness. You see, we're supposed to believe him for the reward, but it's the reward of diligently seeking him, not simply diligently living diligently. You know, it's, it's, it's the reward for seeking him. And seeking him means surrendering my everything to him. Yeah. Seeking him is recognizing that my righteousness is filthy rags. Seeking him means recognizing nothing I've done, nothing I have means anything before him. Seeking him co- means coming to him with the empty hands of faith and saying, God, I have nothing but you have everything, but I surrender my nothing to you. Yeah. Wow. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God himself. There's another sermon there. We're not going to preach that one today. So then Jesus says, do the commandments. And he goes, well, which commandments? Jesus says, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Those, those commandments, you know those, right? He goes, yes, these I have kept since my youth. What more do I lack? Verse 21, here's the crux of it. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, give to the poor. Go, sell what you have, give it all to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And the scripture says the man walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I I actually, in the corner of my heart, have been terrified of this passage since my youth. Scared to death of this passage since my youth. Not realizing I was terrified of this passage until today. Because when I read this passage, there's a part of me that says, Lord, I hope I'm not that dude. I hope you don't require of me what you required of that dude. Because in the back of my mind, some, for some reason, I think that there's just some people that Jesus wants to be poor. And that maybe I'm one of those people. <laughs> I mean, I know for the most part, he wants to bless his kids, but not this dude. He wanted this dude to be poor. That there's just some people who have a level of pride where in order for them to get into the kingdom, God's got to make them poor. And I've come to the realization that this is a complete misunderstanding of this passage. 
that if you read this passage and your heart is afraid, it comes from a, not only a misunderstanding of this passage, but a misunderstanding of who God is. Yeah. Let's break down verse 21. If you want to be perfect, what's that word in the Greek, telos? It means mature or complete. Jesus says, I do see that there's something missing, but it's not your performance that's missing. I do see that there's something missing, but it's not your ethics. It's not your morality. What's missing is your fundamental trust in the benevolence of God. What's missing is your belief that God is able to bless you beyond the work of your own hands. Because deep in your heart, you don't believe that you will ever have anything that you did not work for with your own hands. You believe that if you work 12 hours, you get 12 hours worth of blessing. And that the only way God could bless you is to give you the the strength to work 14 hours instead of 12 hours. You only believe in what you can earn with your own two hands. That's what you lack And that's what God has to break you of. If you want to be perfect, you've got to discover the benevolence of God that transcends your own labor. The benevolence of God that transcends your own earning ability. The benevolence of God that transcends your education. The benevolence of God that transcends the right decisions that you've made. And so in order to mature you in that way, I've got to put you in the context in which your own hands cannot afford you anything in which your own work cannot earn you anything. I've got to put you in the place where you have nothing and you have no way of obtaining anything, and then I'm going to bless you to teach you that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, every time God wants to teach you that you live by the word that comes from his mouth, he leads you through a time of loss. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you and to test you, in order to see what was in your heart, whether or not you would obey his commands? He humbled you by causing you to hunger. By causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna. Whenever God causes you to hunger, it's so that he can then feed you with manna. Which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When God leads you through a time in which you hunger, it's so that he can feed you with that which only he can provide. If you want to be mature, if you want to be complete, go. First thing Jesus says is go, which takes us back to Abraham. You see, the promise of God always requires you to go somewhere. It always requires you to move from the place where you're at, which is exactly the opposite of what we want. I want God to bless me here. (laughs) I want God to bless me in the place I'm at. I don't want to suffer the loss of the here in order to obtain the blessing of the there. But God says, no, 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 no. I cannot bless you where you're at. I've got to move you to another place in order to bless you. Abraham, go. Get up out of your father's house and go to the place I will show you. The blessing is waiting for you in the place that I'll show you. If you want the blessing, you've got to go. And whenever God commands you to go, it always indicates the loss of what is now. If you want to be perfect, you've got to be willing to go. If you want to be complete, you've got to be willing to go. 
So many testimonies of individuals that God said, quit your job. There's a blessing, but you've got to leave the place you're at in order to obtain that blessing. Let this go. Put this down. Say no to that. Turn away from that. There's always opportunity cost. And you must weigh the, bless, the impending blessing with the present opportunity and make a decision that the impending blessing is of more value than the present opportunity. Go. But I've got job security here. I've got upward mobility here. I've got a pension plan. I've got health insurance. I got stock options. That's nice. Go. Leave it behind. Turn down the opportunity. Say no to the now so that you can possess what I have for you in the then. Go. And then Jesus says to him, sell what you have. Go. That's command number one. Sell. If you want to be perfect, first you got to go and then you got to sell. Why did Jesus tell him to sell his possessions? Why didn't he just tell him, give everything you have away? Why did he make him, why did he tell him to sell it first? He didn't have to sell it. He could have just given it away. He could have just turned the deed of his house over to somebody else, turned the deed of his car over to somebody else, given away all his, Jesus said, no, no, I want you to go take inventory of everything you have and then sell it one piece at a time until you have sold everything and converted it to money. Why would Jesus tell him to sell? Because the act of selling his possessions would force him to appraise his current value. Down to the T. I want you to see exactly how much value you have right now before you give it away. Because if you just give it away, you don't actually, you don't actually know what you gave away. How much was in your bank account? I don't know, but I just, I just gave somebody else the login. They just, just take it. How much is your house worth? I don't know. I just, just, I just gave away. You don't, you don't, God wants you to know what you are losing so that to be sure that you have made the appraisal of your current worth and appraise the kingdom as of greater value. First, you've got to sell. And then give. Not donate for a tax write-off. Give. Not, not give and then write a letter and say, I want it to be used for the following things. Oh, you will have zero control over what this is used for. You're going to give. Go, sell, and give. Mm. Suffer the loss of everything. That sounds real hard, doesn't it? Mm. That's the scary part, the go, sell, and give. I just hope the Lord doesn't ask me to do that. Not realizing that if God ever does ask you to do that, it's the greatest compliment he could ever give you. It's the greatest opportunity he could ever invite you into. You should get excited if we really understood the nature of our God. When he says give everything, there's no greater invitation that he could give us. We should be jumping up and down. Everything? Oh, this is going to be so awesome. And then he even gives him a promise, which he completely misinterpreted. And this is why he left sorrowful. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says, and then come and follow me. But isn't it interesting that he promises him treasure in heaven before he commands him, come and follow me. Meaning even if you don't come and follow me, you're still going to have treasure in heaven if you obey what I'm telling you to do. 
However, if you want to maintain it, you better come and follow me. Because yeah. <laughs> kingdom first blessing can only be maintained in a kingdom first relationship with Jesus. Yeah. The problem is the man misunderstood what Jesus meant when he said you will have treasure in heaven. Because he thought what Jesus was saying is, take everything you have, sell it, give the money to, to the poor, be impoverished for the rest of your life, and then when you die and go to heaven, you'll have treasure up there. After you die, because you know Jesus said, in my house, in my father's house are many mansions. And then when you get to heaven, you get to have a mansion. Which is even a misinterpretation of John 14. He didn't say, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. It's one house. It's not a neighborhood. It's a single house. The father's house is one house. You get a bedroom in the father's house, not a mansion. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to live in your own mansion in the afterlife. We misinterpret what heaven is. When Jesus says you will have treasure in heaven, he wasn't talking about after you die. The very gospel of Jesus is not about a heaven after you die. Do you remember how Jesus started? Repent for what? For the kingdom of heaven is now. Right now. Is after, did he say repent for the kingdom of heaven is after you die? No, 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 no. Right now. Right here. It's right here in this place. The kingdom of heaven is here right now. Which means that the realm of God's authority and rule and all of his power and all of his glory and all of his wealth has come here to earth to take over. When Jesus says you will have treasure in heaven, Do you realize that earth's treasures are included in the treasure of heaven? Wow. That's, she just dropped her phone. She said, that's it. See, we, we, we don't realize that we have become Platonists. Wow. We are Greek philosophers and we don't even know it. Wow. That this divide between the material and the immaterial, where heaven is up there in this immaterial realm and earth is down here in this material realm, and that's totally unbiblical. What Jesus teaches us is heaven is here right now and the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him, which means the kingdom of this earth, all of the wealth of this earth is his. The man didn't realize that when Jesus says you will have treasure in heaven, what he was actually promising him was greater worth, greater value, greater treasure, even in this world. The only difference is that that treasure would be submitted to the kingdom of heaven yeah. instead of controlled by an individual, the rich young ruler. Because what the kingdom first life does is gives possessions their purpose. When you're living outside of the kingdom first life, the purpose of all of your possessions is to please you. But when you're living the kingdom first life, the purpose of all of your possessions is to please God. And the only way to please you is to live a lifestyle that pleases God. Because when you're living outside of the kingdom first life and all of your possessions are there to please you, you can't even please you. At the end of your life, you neither please God nor yourself. But when you're living the kingdom first life, 
and all of your possessions are given their true purpose, which is to please God. At the end of the day, they please you. Because the scripture says he gives us freely all things to enjoy. The man walked away sorrowful because he believed that Jesus was saying, I don't want you to have any possessions. And Jesus wasn't saying that at all. You know what Jesus was actually saying? I want you to have more possessions than you want to have. But I need to qualify you to see if you can be trusted with greater possessions. Because I can only entrust these possessions to individuals that I will not have to judge for it later. And what you don't realize, rich young ruler, is that so many are living outside of the kingdom with great possessions who are simply heaping up judgment upon themselves. But I want to teach you how to live the kingdom first life. Where your possessions have a purpose. Because you prioritize the kingdom. Mm. And God is looking for individuals that he can bless with great possessions. But you got to pass the test. This was a test and the rich young ruler failed the test. But our father Abraham didn't fail the test. God gave him the same promise, didn't he? Go. Get out of your father's house. Leave everything that's comfortable for you. Leave all of the pomp and circumstance that you have amassed here, the houses that you've built, and go. Where are you going? I'll show you when you get there. I'm inviting you on an adventure with me. And when you get there, you know what will be waiting for you? I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The blessing is waiting in the land of obedience. The blessing is waiting in the land of obedience. The blessing is waiting in the land of God-inspired sacrifice. And this is really the crux of the matter. Is that so many of us withhold the sacrifice in order to retain the blessing. I can't give this because God has blessed me with this. And I've got to be a steward of the blessing. Not realizing that when God calls you to give the sacrifice, he's inviting you to possess a greater blessing on the other side of it. And the beautiful thing is, there's a greater sacrifice on the other side of the greater blessing. Abraham gets to the promised land, and what was waiting for him? A greater sacrifice. Now he and Lot have his thing. And now God says, are you going to choose the best of the land, or are you going to trust me? He says, Lot, you choose which way you go, and I'll go the other way. Lot takes the best land. Abraham says, no problem, me and the blessing are going this way. God says, that's what I'm talking about. The kingdom first life, not the opportunist life. And then God says, oh, by the way, I've got a greater sacrifice for you, Abraham. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and take him to the place I'll show you and offer him as a sacrifice there. 
greater sacrifice. And when Abraham obeys, the angel of the Lord appears and says, in blessing, I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply you. And I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea. Why? Because you did not withhold from me your son, your only son. You didn't withhold the sacrifice from me. Now I'm not going to withhold the blessing from you. So many of us live outside of the blessing because we withhold the sacrifice and we withhold the sacrifice because we don't believe in the blessing. We, re we reject wow. the seek ye first wow. because we don't believe in the end all these things. Wow. And God wants to break you of that doubt, of that unbelief. God wants to instill in you the faith for the end all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus literally says in this passage, you don't even have to worry about the end, all these things. Your father knows that you have need of it. Yes. Your father is more willing to give than you are to receive. Your father wants more for you yes. than you want for yourself. Yes. You don't have to spend your time worrying. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not. Your father knows what you have need before you ask. And I can testify to you today that every new level of blessing yeah. in my life yeah. and in my wife's life and in our family yeah. has come from a new level of sacrifice that God invited us into. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone, mm -hmm. there's not a single one that didn't come through great sacrifice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to invite you into that kingdom first life as well. But the rich young ruler when he heard this, he went away sorrowful, wow. for he had great possessions. He moved in fear mm -hmm. and not in faith. Mm -hmm. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's the life. Yeah. And his righteousness first question with everything I have is, God, what do you want? Yeah. And all these things shall be added to you as well. Why? Because I not only believe that he is, mm -hmm. but I believe in God the rewarder. Mm -hmm. He is a rewarder. God wants you to know him as the rewarder. Yeah. God the rewarder. Yeah. But in order to know him as the rewarder, You've got to discover yourself to be the one who makes sacrifice. Wow. Wow. Let's, let's pray. So Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are inviting us on an adventure to know you as the rewarder. You wish to introduce yourself to us in a new way. And for so many of us, we've been so afraid <laughs> so afraid because we simply don't know who you are. Mm. We say that you're a good, good father, but we don't believe you to be. Mm. We believe that you're one who takes but does not give. Mm. We think you're a hard man who gathers where you have not sown. Mm. But God, I pray that you would release that unbelief from our hearts. Mm. 
and replace it with faith in God the rewarder, that we might rejoice in you and even rejoice in bringing the sacrifice. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name.